The reading is from Mark's Gospel, beginning at the start of chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell in good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, never hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some a hundred times what was sown. Thank you, Roger. So cholera was one of the deadliest diseases to affect Britain in the 19th century. 
And initially, it was believed that cholera was transmitted by the spread of bad air from rotting organic matter. And this thinking dominated all official, uh, medical and government statements that came out at the time. And then in August 1854, uh, there was a major outbreak of cholera in Soho in London. Uh, now, Soho at the time wasn't like it is now, uh, but it was a really overcrowded slum, and the sewage system in London hadn't reached uh, that part of London yet. And there was a local doctor there called John Snow, and he began to wonder if actually cholera was being transmitted uh, by some other means, not through the air. And so he began to map the deaths of cholera and created this map that you'll see pop up on the screen. He discovered that the common denominator was that all the people in this area who'd been affected and died from cholera had used the same public water pump. And you can just see it right in the middle there. There's a lots of blobs all together, and there's a, a very small blue symbol of a tap. And that was on Broad Street in Soho. And his discovery and this map that he created was so convincing that he managed to persuade the local council to disable uh, that, that particular pump. And immediately, the cases of cholera in that area started to recede. John Snow's map made the invisible disease visible. And he made a major contribution to the fight against cholera by demonstrating visibly the link between cholera and contaminated drinking water. John and I were chatting yesterday evening, and we were chatting about how uh, the, the nation's mourning, uh, the way that the nation has mourned the death of the queen this week, and how this, um, this, this immense queue, first of all in uh, our own Edinburgh, but then being transferred down to London, this immense queue of people to pay their respects to the queen has made the invisible love and affection and uh, admiration that so many of us have for the Queen, it's been made visible by this incredible queue of people wanting to go and pay their respects. The invisible becomes visible. When Jesus teaches in parables, by using the ordinary and the everyday things of life, he's making the invisible things of God visible to those who are listening to him. And so we get to Mark chapter 4 and a whole series of parables. Jesus leaves the house that he's been staying at and he heads down to Lake Galilee. And a whole load of people are there gathered to listen to him. Now, by this point in his ministry, Jesus is hugely popular. Uh, people come to listen to his teachings, to see him perform miracles. It's just what you did. There was no TV, there was no social media or other forms of entertainment. Jesus was the entertainment. But now... By teaching in parables, Jesus shifts gear. People won't just be able to take what they see and what they hear from him now at face value. He's challenging people by speaking in parables to start to really wrestle and grapple with the truths that he's sharing with them. 
And who are these people? Who are these folk that are gathered at Lake Galilee? They're not the people of learning and power, but they're the masses. They're the farmers, the tradespeople, the fishermen, the women and the men and the children. And so as he stands on the shore of Lake Galilee, he looks around him and he probably sees somewhere in the distance a farmer out sowing seed. And he uses this really ordinary scene as his text to grab people's attention and bring the truths of the kingdom of God alive for them. He makes the invisible mysteries of God visible. Listen, a farmer went out to sow seed, he begins. And then he goes on to describe the different soils that the, the seed falls upon. And so we have the seed. You could say that's the gospel message, the kingdom of God, the truth of Jesus. The sower, the one who is out scattering seed. And the soil, who are the people hearing. So even though the sower and the seed are key parts of this parable, neither of them are determinative. Everything in this parable depends on the state of the ground, how it receives the seed. So in reality, this parable that many of us have known our whole lives is not actually the parable of the sower, but it's the parable of the soils that receive the seed. And so the question posed to the person listening is this, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil am I? I wonder what kind of ground you feel like at the moment. I wonder if you are like the path. The seed that landed on the path didn't take root, but was eaten by the birds. Maybe you hear the message of Jesus but nowadays, it almost bounces off you. Maybe it repels from you for, for various reasons. Maybe you've become almost indifferent to the reality and the power of Jesus in your life. Or maybe you see this in people around you, your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues. They aren't hostile to Christianity. They're just indifferent. They're just a bit apathetic. You know, Jesus, religion, you know, that's your thing. I just don't care. You know, my life is fine, thanks. I'm good. I'm comfortable. I have a job. I have my mates. I have stuff. I get, can get on fine without God. And so the seed falls on the path, and it doesn't take root. Or perhaps you're like the rocky ground, in this area of Galilee, at some points, the ground was basically a limestone shelf with just a, like a thin skin of soil on top of it. And so the farmers would sow the seed and it would land in the soil and the soil was deep enough for the seed to germinate. But there wouldn't be enough nutrients and moisture or depth in the soil for the seed to really take root. I wonder if this is you. You've heard and responded to the gospel of Jesus. But if you're honest, it feels like your faith is hanging on by a thread because your roots are shallow. 
Maybe it's the COVID years, and they've really taken their toll on you. And you know you haven't really got back to, or maybe you didn't even start, some habits that would help you to put down those deep roots in your Christian faith. I'm sure that the Apostle Paul has the words of Jesus in his mind when he pleads with the Christians in Colossae, telling them this in Colossians 3, 2 to 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul is reminding us that Every day, if we're to grow in faith, we need to choose Jesus, choose to live in him, choose to put down deep roots by worshiping him, choosing to get to know him by spending time with him in prayer and reading the Bible. It just makes me think of that song, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to, grow. Some of you are with me. Some of you think I'm a psycho. Um, We need to choose to be active in our Christian uh, communities as well. Be with those people who are going to help us to get rooted and stay strong for when the troubles come. So maybe we're like the rocky ground. Or maybe you're like the thorny ground where the seed has taken root. But as it's grown, it's got crowded out and choked by the brambles and the thorns that come around it. There are so many things that crowd in on you and are demanding your time and your attention. Children and grandchildren, money, work, the house, friends, the economy, how are you going to pay your bills, health health issues, worries, your phone. So there's no room left for Jesus. And maybe some of those things, lots of those things are actually great in themselves, aren't they? They're fulfilling And so we don't really notice that they're dividing our hearts and choking any spiritual growth we have. One author, particularly talking about the effect of our screens on us, says this, deep spiritual longings which ought to be lovingly tended and skillfully cultivated are choked to death by binge television, immersive gaming, and social media. Technology and lighted rectangles we gaze at all the time are not bad in and of themselves, but if we're not vigilant and intentional, digital Babylon glitzes and blitzes our days, and so completely that we never get around to pursuing the deeper things in life. So let's be honest about the things in our lives which are choking out Jesus. Maybe some of us need to make decisions today about our priorities, where we're going to put our energy and our time in the days ahead so that our faith is not choked by the things that are crowding in around us. And then we get to the good soil, where the seed falls and it takes root and it grows strong and produces a crop that is 30, 60, uh, 100 times what is sown. We know that we're meant to be like the good soil. But how on earth do we get there when, frankly, we might be feeling much more like 
the rocky ground or the thorny soil at the moment. And the clue we find is in verse 20 of Mark 4, which says this, others, like seeds sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it or receive it, and produce a crop. Hear, accept, receive, and produce. I don't know whether you've noticed, but through the whole of this parable, each time the seed is sown, the word is always heard. But it's what happens next that's significant. It's heard, and then it's rejected. It's heard, but it doesn't take root, or it falls away. It's heard, but it gets choked by the pressures of the world. But if we're to be good soil, the message of Jesus is heard, received, and then acted upon. Now, I don't know masses about gardening or farming or soil, but I do know this. I had a veggie patch once, and when I moved into the house where this huge veggie patch was, it was absolutely covered in weeds. Uh, it couldn't produce anything at all. But I didn't want it to stay like that. I had aspirations of what I was going to grow in this veggie patch. And so I went and asked a woman in the church that I was working at, at the time, who was a brilliant gardener, what do I do? And I discovered that basically it was all about digging. It was all about digging out the weeds and digging in the compost, making the ground good, feeding the ground. Feeding the ground so that it would produce a harvest, it would produce fruit. It's all about what you put into the soil, she told me, to allow the seed to receive and then produce a crop. What you put in, she told me, has a direct correlation to what you get out. Over the COVID years, I think it's been really sad to see so many people dropping out of churches and losing their faith in Jesus all over the world. And there seems to be a few common denominators. It's usually, not always, down to how seriously churches and also individual Christians took discipleship, not just church going. How seriously people took discipleship, not just church attendance. One piece of research by uh, a Christian research agency called the Barna Group found uh, that resilient disciples were those who had nurtured good soil. And they had five habits in common, five practices in common to help them to stay strong and keep growing <coughs> excuse me, through the good and the tough times. So let's just briefly look at what those five habits are, those features of good soil. So firstly, they found that resilient disciples experienced intimacy with Jesus. They took personal responsibility for connecting with God themselves, not just consuming church. So people who nurture good soil are intentional about spending time with God in worship. They're seekers after Jesus. And even though it's tough at times, they reported that 
the more they were intentional about connecting with Jesus, the more they encountered him. And the more they expected to encounter Jesus, the more they found it natural to share their faith with others and therefore to produce a crop of 30, 60, 100 times. So they experience intimacy with Jesus. And then secondly, resilient disciples are culturally discerning, i.e. they don't just go along with whatever the trends are of the society they lived in, but were anchored in the Bible enough to filter out cultural clutter. They actually read God's word or listened to it and engaged with it and dwelt with it and then applied it to their lives. And that is so radical, but also we can all do it. You know, if you want to know how to be a good friend, look in here. You know, if you want to know how to deal with the anxieties and the worries that you're struggling with, Look in God's word. If you want to know how you're designed to be in relationship with other people, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to treat that person that's really hurt you, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to experience love and what love looks like, look in God's word. If you want to know how to care for creation, look in the Bible. If you want to know how to treat refugees, look in the Bible. And if you're somebody who finds the Bible difficult, because it is complicated, isn't it? Don't give up. There are so many tools that can help you to get to know God and grow in intimacy with him. Uh, Just a few suggestions. Tomorrow, uh, we have, in fact, Martin, who's leading worship today, is going to be leading the Bible course. It's an amazing overview of the Bible and helps us to know how to approach God's word and actually get to know it better and read it. I can really recommend it. There are some spaces still available if you want to register. Then there's the Bible app, the brown one in the corner there. That's what it looks like. It's got all these reading plans on it as well, as well as the Bible. It can really help you. The Bible in one year, the red and white one there, uh, helps you to read the Bible in a whole year. You've got to like dig deep. It took me 20 months, not a year, but hey, hey. Uh, And then the other one that I love is the Lectio 365 app there, uh, which gives you a Bible reading and a prayer sort of meditation every day. There are loads more and lots of things on paper and in books as well. Maybe it'd be more helpful for you to read the Bible with other people. Join a connect group. Ask questions. Develop those muscles of cultural discernment. Be a reader of Scripture. Grow in godly not earthly wisdom. And then thirdly, resilient disciples form meaningful relationships with other Christians. Just look around you for a minute, like actually do it. Just look at the people that are near you. Delightful. I get to look at all your faces. They're lovely. I mean, this church is full of different people. You're really different in a positive way. You know, different ages, different social backgrounds, different demographics, different ethnicities. The church is one of the only places now in modern society where we mix like this intergenerationally. What a gift we are to each other. But we have to be intentional about getting to know each other, building relationship, especially in a church the size of P's and G's. We're a church of about a thousand people. But on any one Sunday, 
We only get about 500 people through the doors because that's because of the changes in church going post-COVID. So we have to be really intentional. Ask somebody for coffee that you got to know today. Invite them for lunch. Be the change that you want to see. Practice hospitality. Be the one who gathers folk. You might have only been here for one week or two weeks, but we're all in this together. All of us have a role to play in encouraging and mentoring and gathering and being family with each other in this place. So meaningful relationships keep the soil fresh and fruitful. And then resilient disciples are whole life disciples of Jesus. That's something we talk about a lot at P's and G's. It's about making sure uh, what we hear in our head and what connects to our heart actually connects to our hands as well, head, heart, and hands. It means we've thought about and we live out our faith in the whole of our lives. It's exactly what Ben was talking about and sharing with us earlier. We're working at being Christians, whether we're at school or at university or in our workplaces or with our families or as a parent, making sure that our faith in Jesus and our love for him affects every single part of our lives. It's about being a natural Christian, if you like, and that's what produces a crop. And that leads us to the last thing. Resilient disciples are engaged in counter-cultural mission. Jesus makes it clear in verses 8 and 20 of Mark 4 that seeds that fall on good soil will produce an amazing harvest if we hear and then receive the word and then act upon it. Earlier in the summer, I shared some of the results of the recent Talking Jesus research, which was done across the UK in January and February this year. And one of the things that was uncovered in this research was that of non-Christians, or not yet Christians, who have had a conversation about faith with a practicing Christian friend, 75% of them reported that they felt really comfortable having that conversation with their mate. 35% of those that had a conversation about faith with their practicing Christian friend felt more positive towards Jesus after that conversation. And 33% wanted to know more about Jesus after the chat that they'd had with their friend. And 36% were open to an experience or an encounter with Jesus themselves. Who'd have thought? Because many people are nearer to faith in Jesus than perhaps we imagine or expect. And so our job, and this is what Ben was sharing with us earlier, is to faithfully sow the seed of the message of Jesus into people's lives with love, with grace, with compassion and confidence, and be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in him. And then to be patient and leave the rest to God. He is the God of transformation and multiplication. So, back to our question. What sort of soil am I? And am I happy to stay where I am? Or do I need to make some choices? Be intentional 
start to inject some nutrients into my relationship with Jesus. Or perhaps think about the importance that I place on church and building Christian community with other Christians, spending time with God myself. Maybe I long to see my family and my friends or my community transformed. I long to see them come to know Jesus. So maybe today I need to ask the Holy Spirit to reignite my faith and my love for him so it starts to take root in a much deeper way and affect the way that I live my whole life. Maybe pray that the Holy Spirit enlarges your expectation of what God can do in your community as well. So let's be people who hear the message of Jesus and then receive it into our hearts and then act upon it and live it out in the places and with the people that God has put us with today and this week and next week. Paul's going to lead us in prayer now and a response and then we're going to continue in worship together.